I was just thinking a moment ago when you said, uh, how do you deal with somebody who's in denial? I was thinking you could throw them around the <laughs> <room>. <laughs> Well, the old ones are always the best. There you go. I can see that and now you're blurry. Right. <laughs> Let's put my junk there. You'll forgive me. I've got a slight cold, so I'm a little bit... If I stop for water break, I'm just croaking a little bit. <laughs> Okie dokie. Have I turned this on? There you go. that better? Too much? No. It was off. It was on then? Yes. Okay. It wasn't on when I was in there, was it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we're carrying on with our theme of the bridge over troubled waters. And uh, this is the bridge over troubled waters of confrontation. As you can imagine, I was so overjoyed when I realised I had this subject, um, mainly for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it's not something, um, you know, I'm good at confrontation, uh, but for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> okay. So, we'll dig straight in. You know, just by the way, in case anyone doesn't know me, because I'm not going to be here on a Sunday night. Um, I think I recognise a lot of faces. I'm Paul, and you'll probably find me more likely here on a Saturday morning if you're going to find me anywhere, unless I'm working, of course. So, uh, just in case you wondered, who's this person and where's he come from? Okay. So, we just heard read in the passages that uh, a story of various confrontations, people being confronted... And, of course, one really big confrontation. Um, and the story starts with Jesus stating to his disciples about what's about to happen to him. He tells them that he's going to Jerusalem and that once there, he is going to have to suffer and that he's going to be killed. Now, Suffering at the hands of the, uh, the leaders and the, Jew- uh, the teachers of the law was not a strange thing for, G- for Jesus and his disciples. That was happening quite a lot. But obviously being killed, well, that was a bit of a shock, clearly to Peter. Now, Peter reacts to this and decides he's going to confront Jesus. The first thing he obviously hears is he's going to suffer and be killed. It's interesting because Jesus also says that he's going to be raised again back to life, which is a pretty big part of it. But somehow, Peter only focuses on that. And isn't that kind of so so us, that when we're here and are confronted with a big piece of information, sometimes we only hear the bad bit, the awful bit, the bit we don't like, and then we react just to that. Although we can't probably blame Peter too much, because if you're going to hear one of your friends is going to be killed, I guess that is going to draw your attention pretty much. Um, So, Jesus reacts, uh, sorry, Peter reacts, and he says, um, probably well-meaning to Jesus, that this will never happen to you. Peter, I'm sure, meant no harm in that. He surely had to be trying to bolster his friend who was about to go through some terrible thing. Who of us wouldn't draw alongside someone and want to sort of try and improve their situation? But Jesus in doing, uh, Peter in doing that, sorry, pretty much puts both his feet in his mouth. <laughs> uh, the first one, because frankly he was wrong. 
He spoke with conviction and authoritatively to convince his friend that this awful thing wouldn't happen. It's very important, I think, for us, if we're going to confront somebody, to make sure that we possess all of the facts. Wishful thinking isn't going to cut it. There is a way that seems right to us, but if we're only speaking on half-knowledge and what we would like to see happen, we can, instead of helping that person, we can end up making things a lot worse for them. And then the second sort of metaphorical foot that Jesus puts in his mouth, uh, Peter puts in his mouth, sorry, is revealed by Jesus' response to what he says. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter had confronted from his perspective. It's another important lesson for us. Oh, well, you know, do we have the full facts? Are we just saying something from our perspective? Um, do we see the big picture? And if we don't have all those things, then maybe we should just keep quiet, at least until we're sure, you know, whether we can actually help. It says in Matthew 7, 3, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and all the time there's a plank in your own eye? When we confront someone, if we need to confront someone, sometimes we'll have to confront people. We need to be sure we are seeing clearly with good and right perspective. Um, and that our intentions are not clouded by our point of view or what we're going through. Um, sometimes we might draw on experiences and things to help somebody. But that might work if it's just the one thing. But sometimes somebody's going through something and there's lots of people involved in that. And then so for us... Maybe to assume that our, our past thing fits exactly. It might not be that way. We have to be careful. We need to make sure we have a godly perspective. In Galatians 6, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Or in other words, you might want to translate it as, if you're going to confront somebody, be prepared to do it God's way. Not from your perspective, but being led by the Spirit. Um, and then we will know that our motivations are in line with how God would have us deal with something. It says again in Matthew 18, If your brother or your sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That is a really, really, really good idea. If we make a scene and confront somebody in front of other people, the chances are their guard's going to come up. The wall comes up. They're going to end up feeling defensive. They might come back at you. And ultimately, um, things can turn sour pretty quickly. We can, you know, we can, uh, yeah, we can tell a difficult situation even worse. Jesus says in Mark 12, 30, 
Oh, sorry, when he was asked what the most important commandments were, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says there's no greater commandments than these. Surely this means then that when we confront, we must do it with gentleness and kindness and love and treating the person who we are confronting in the same way we would want to be treated. We must have their interests at heart. As we went through it there, we get to the verse 24 where it talks about picking up your cross and follow me. I'm going to come back to that at the end. As the story goes on, we see Jesus confront Peter with information that is from a right perspective, factually correct, and for his own good. Jesus tells Peter that Satan wants to sift him as wheat. Basically, crushed Peter until only the chaff was left. And of course, by that he means, if I endorse it, I'm sure everyone knows how wheat works. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if there is anyone from a town, obviously you've got the kernel of the wheat and then there's the husky, chaffy bit. And uh, that's the waste product. And that's what he wanted to do to Peter. And it's probably no surprise that Satan would choose such a time as that to uh, have a pop at Peter when he's vulnerable, when everything's falling apart around him. Um, We can learn from this as our response to confrontation can be affected by what we are going through at the time if we don't continually listen to and trust Jesus. Um, It's something we need to practice. I was thinking when Dave was talking about the fire drill earlier, he says that they had the fire drill... And uh, having done it, they picked up difficulties and things. And then, so when it happens the next time, it's going to run smoother. It's exactly the same with our relationship with Jesus. If we don't practice it and live it out and, you know, get to the point where we we respond in conjunction with Jesus all the time on the little things, when the big things come at us, we're, we're not going to be prepared for it. It's kind of, it's almost too late to prepare at that point. Um, and so of course Peter being told how it was going to be and what was going to happen from the one person he could trust most to have his best interests at heart doesn't believe it (laughs) Um, isn't that the way sometimes we can hear information especially when it relates to ourselves and we don't perceive it we don't get it we don't want to believe it um, it's just the fact that sometimes others may have a good, a clearer view of us than maybe we do when we're in a situation. So maybe we need to be at least open to listening when confronted. Um, but it is difficult, and because it's difficult, it's probably why so often com- uh, confrontation does lead to conflict. Peter's response was that he would go to prison and death for Jesus. He was clearly devoted to Jesus and believed he would stand by Jesus no matter what. I guess, again, sometimes somebody else's perspective can see what we can't see. Simon doesn't accept it. And as the story goes on, we see the biggest confrontation of all. That which Jesus had said would happen. 
Jesus and his disciples were confronted by a crowd who'd come to seize Jesus. And they were led by one of their own. What a, a deep sense of betrayal that must have been. I mean, it wasn't a surprise, obviously, to Jesus, but to the rest of the disciples. Clearly, that must have been a, one confrontation you wouldn't want to see from someone who was one of your gang. Now, as much as Jesus wasn't looking forward to what he was about to suffer, he knew what needed to happen. It was for the greater good to save us from the penalty of the wrong things we'd done. So Jesus knew it was time for him to pick up his cross. But Peter didn't get it. Um, we know it was Peter. If we read the same account in John, we find out it was Peter that took up the sword and strikes the servant of the, uh, the high priest and he takes off his ear. And uh, when I was preparing this, I said, he did it in an act of... And I didn't know what to write because I wasn't sure what the motivation was. I've literally just question mark, question mark, question mark. Was it an act of bravery? Was it an act of fear? Was it an act of stupidity? Um, Was it an act of loyalty? Um, And I think what I found is that that's probably quite telling. The fact I didn't know what to write there because I think when things come to the point of confrontation... Actually, there are so many things that come into play sometimes. Um, we get overwhelmed by the, the conflicting emotions and things, and then we act out. And uh, hopefully we don't take anyone's ear off. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of makes sense that I wasn't sure what, what to ascribe to him there for that reason. Um, yeah. It does seem, however, that Simon was prepared to die and go to prison for Jesus after all, I guess. The fact that he did that, he was kind of true to his word. But, of course, Peter, in doing that, was still operating from his own perspective. He was still trying to do it his way, despite what Jesus had told him. Um, and then Jesus says enough and serves us, uh, heals the servants here. Um, and then he responds to the crowd as if to shed light on their motives. And he tells them basically facts. What he'd been doing, that he'd been with them in the marketplace. He'd been peaceful, just teaching in the temple courts. He hadn't been doing anything crazy. But there they were coming, to like, like a gang, coming to arrest someone who would be perceived as a criminal almost, you know, in the way they were approaching him. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> isn't that always often the way when people approach? Sometimes can uh, approach, excuse me, confront us. That uh, if they're confronting us in a way, and we don't, it's not necessarily something we've done or we're guilty of. They might confront us in a way that almost proves their point. If you know what I mean, they'll come at you angrily as if you've done something awful even though that wasn't actually what you'd done. They do it almost to, to prove their position, but it's, it can be baseless. It's a fact that often when people confront us, it isn't always with our best interests at heart. We can find ourselves accused of twisted half-truths and sometimes just plain lies. And yes, that can be very, very hurtful. 
In fact, since it can have such a, a terrible and devastating effect, we need to make sure that we're never sucked into doing the same. Sometimes we can be surrounded by a gang of people and they're all talking and the echo chamber of their thoughts creates almost a mob mentality. Um, you have to be guarded not to get sucked into that. Um, it's so easy. I'll, I'll give the same example that I gave myself this morning. We sometimes see it, I've seen it in the workplace, um, in my own workplace years ago, not my present workplace, where people get upset. They feel that someone needs to be confronted. So they all get together, they drag people in, and then they elect one poor person to go forward and to confront the person they want to speak to. Um, Normally the person who probably didn't have that much of a problem in the first place. And they justify it by saying it will be better coming from you and that uh, we'll be right behind you. And, uh, of course, that poor person goes up, confronts them, tells them, well, all these people and, and, you know, we feel like this. And it just goes wrong. It goes wrong because the poor person's been told that all these people are upset with them for whatever reason. So they feel like they've been ganged up on. Um, they also feel like they've not come to them first because it's all been discussed and decided before they've got to them. So then the person receiving it, you know, can only respond back to the person who's there in front of them telling them. And the, so you get this big conflict <laughs> starting. And all those people that were behind just sort of melt away then and sort of start backtracking as it all blows up because, you know, nobody wants to really be in the middle of the conflict. It's, uh, it's something we have to be so careful of not to get caught up in the middle of a mob mentality. It's very easy. Better for us if we take the lead from what Jesus did and just there to crowd, tell the crowd the facts. Whether it's in defence of ourselves or to confront the others with truth. You know, we can, we can correct people who are doing that. But if we are going to confront with truth, we have to do it in love, regardless of it, whether it's the angry crowd or not. Uh, we've got to have good intentions and hope to build people up and not tear them down, certainly not to score points off them. And then finally, we saw... Um, Peter alone and frightened as the story goes on and he continues to be confronted firstly a woman who says this man was with him and Peter says I don't know him again later you are one of them and then later again certainly this fellow was with him for he is Galilean and uh, Peter in a rather weak says I don't know what you're talking about Then, as the rooster crows three times, and Jesus looks directly at Peter, Peter is confronted one last time with the cold, hard reality of what he's done, and it says he wept bitterly. Now, skip the verse we read. I'm echoing, sorry, putting my hands down. Uh, uh, Verse 24 from Matthew 16, when we read, and uh, it says that, Then Jesus said to his disciples... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So how should we react when we're confronted? Things in life 
will come at us. We are living at a time where we are going to be increasingly confronted for being a follower of Jesus. It's happening clearly, I mean, in the Middle East, it's been happening for some years, especially since the wars and the Iraq wars and so on. Um, Was it Iraq had five million Christians at one time, I think? I should have prepared these facts, doing this from memory, but I think it's about right. Um, And they're all but gone now, such as the persecution they've faced. And in all over the regions, it's been happening. Um, so it's happening there, but it's going to happen. It happens to us here too. See, the more we hold on to what you might describe as Christian values, the more society moves away from those positions. The more we are going to find ourselves confronted by others on our opinions and on, on other things, and not least what it means to follow Jesus and what we stand for. Sorry. Even within the global church, there are some who have moved their position to fit in. Not every church is following sound doctrine around the world. Churches have been confronted by uh, people who say that uh, they are out of touch, old-fashioned, intolerant, and as a result, they've diluted what they stand for, even changed their doctrine. Um, There's a story not long ago I heard. Um, it was during Ramadan, and there were churches taking down their covering and taking down their crosses, so as not to offend the Muslims. Now, I don't believe we should be attacking any Muslims at all, but we should not then be diluting our position and what we believe in, and removing our cro- you know, removing crosses from churches um, in, in the name of tolerance, and, and that's only because of peer pressure and what the pressure from society that people are doing when the difficult confrontations come what are we going to say in response will we answer like Peter I don't know what you're talking about and just shy away avoid it, evade it try not to meet it head on are we going to stick with stating the facts even if it means we may suffer some consequences for that What about when it's more personal, when it's in the workplace, or even in our families, or even among friends here in Dorchester Community Church? When confrontations come, are we going to get offended and allow that confrontation to turn into conflict? It's it's a challenge to us. When we're confronted... It can feel really, really personal. It can feel like you know, our very being is being attacked. Um, sometimes when someone confronts us, it's uncomfortable because it can for- forces us to confront ourselves. The fact is we're not perfect. Not all of our actions are spot- you know, where they should be. Our actions might be hurting ourselves. It might be hurting others. But it might just not be in line with God's word. And, and in those situations, it's probably right for someone to come and, and confront us. And uh, 
more so when we're confronted, it might force us to change our mind or opinion. Which, if you're like me, is probably the hardest of all. <laughs> to change your mind <laughs> when you think you're right. Uh, that's when I come kicking and screaming. Um, but it, we have to be open to it. So, we've been confronted. Do we go on the attack to save face? You see, if we've picked up our cross to follow Jesus, it means we have laid our lives down. If we're being offended, have we truly laid our lives down or are we only half and half? Do we have the right to carry on clinging to ourselves? That part of us that we suppose, you know, we're singing worship, Lord, we give it all to you. But then as soon as we're, we, things get uncomfortable, you know, it turns out well, maybe we hung on to more than we, we thought, thought we had. See, if we've picked up our cross, it means that we follow Jesus, even if it's unto death. It's tough stuff. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to, for me. I don't think we have the right to be offended, we're human and we're going to suffer emotions from being confronted, but do we really have the right to be truly, truly offended? Can we be like, well, you don't know what they said to me. He was so nasty. And then we'll like, ring someone up and then grab three people to share it with for, for prayer and, uh, you know, and then just keep telling the story to anybody who will listen. And then we just stay in that place of hurt and, and live it out and rehearse it till it becomes, you know, sort of, we make it part of us, even now it, now it's a past thing. We leave it in the present. We can't stay in that place. You know, Satan comes to still kill and destroy, so we've got to make sure that we don't do the job for him. Since we we have laid down our lives, why not have an attitude of that? It's not my life being confronted. If we are a follower of Jesus and we are now a new creation, the Bible tells us that the old has gone and the new has come. So if we are confronted by something that is, let's say, bad about ourselves, how do we react? I say, great, because that means we've now got an opportunity to get rid of and shed something that shouldn't be part of our new lives anyway. We don't need to be concerned or embarrassed or, or, or try and defend the position or the mistake we've made. If it's someone's come to us with, with the right attitude, you know, trying to build us up and help us, let's just embrace that opportunity. If the confrontation is unfounded, because you're living your new life as a follower of Jesus, what do I mean by that? I know... A lot of people fell out of my life when I became a Christian. They didn't. They were still living the life that I was previously living, but they started to distance themselves to me the more I changed. Um, And to the point where there's a few people who aren't in my life anymore. Now, it seems a shame, but sometimes the old lives and the new lives just don't gel together anymore. But what if you're confronted for that? I, I remember uh, 
uh, one incident. It's a bit. I've got to be careful. I was best man for somebody, and um, we all, we all went out, and I'd ordered, and we went to the club, and there's comedy club, and and you know, and and all the good things, but I did say to him, look, I can't, because I knew where he was at and what he was like. I said, I got to tell you, I won't be like hiring a stripper or anything for you, <laughs> because a male thing that was the kind of group it was um and i didn't i warned him but i know on the on the night that that person was a little miffed (laughs) because he thought it would happen um you know my new life didn't allow me to do that i just had to 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 do that so we can be confronted for things like that it's a little sad but maybe that caused some conflict but I still rejoice because only maybe a couple of years earlier, you know, I would have done it. So my life was changing and it was changing because now Jesus was in my life. So it's a, it's a reason to rejoice. Um, we need to know who we are in Christ in order to respond to a confrontation. Funny then, sorry. <sighs> okay. Um, yeah, we need to know who we are in Christ if we're gonna, how we're going to respond to a confrontation. There's a right way to respond to someone, and if someone is confronting you and is doing it in a way that they don't realise, or sorry, I, I really feel a bit funny all of a sudden. Forgive me. <laughs> Where did that come from? I've got a flash in my eye and everything. Oh dear. Okay, though. Okay. How do we confront somebody? Uh, how do we deal with it if our new life in Jesus? There is a right way that we have to go forward. Our response to how we confront somebody can help or hinder somebody. If we react badly, then they're going to see us as a Christian and they're going to think, you know, well, there's no difference between them, is there? There's nothing. We don't look any different to the rest of the world. So we have to have and set ourselves a higher standard. Um, Our response will help or hinder them. Um, Do we react in a way that demonstrates who we are, that we're Christ's ambassadors? Or do we just act like we're part of the rest of the world? It says that we read that we're in the world, but not of it. So is our actions going to be that way? This can be hard stuff to live out and hard stuff to do. It's an important choice to make. Because our lives are no longer our own. They were bought at a price. 
I don't want to one day be looking back at my life and realise that I somehow missed it. That in the way that I responded to a confrontation, I ended up misrepresenting Jesus. And then therefore, the person who was, you know, saw me or witnessed me might have been their one chance to see what a Christian was. Um, I don't want to get to the end of my life and be like Peter and weep bitter tears because I realised that in my actions of doing things wrong, I'd effectively denied Jesus, at least the reality of him in my life. The Bible says if we love him, we will obey him. All I can say is thank God he is merciful and faithful and a loving God because this is quite hard stuff in practice sometimes. I know I'm only part of the way there. So, then lastly, if we have had a confrontation that has led us to have a fractured relationship, maybe it's time for us to confront that relationship again, at least so much as it's in our power to do so. Sometimes it may not be, and we need to to recognise that for a multitude of reasons. But it would be great if confrontation of a past, of things that we've lived with for a long time, we could revisit and maybe get to a point of reconciliation, if it's possible. It says in Matthew 5.23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. It's where someone's got something against you, he says, we need to go and make peace with them, even before our worshipping God. (laughs) And that's a tough one, because that means it might not be your fault. But maybe, maybe, maybe it's still our responsibility to try to get to a point of reconciliation, to mend what was conflict and confrontation. It is, at the very least, something we need to pray about. And that is a good start. If there's something that's there in your life, you know... If you want to approach it, then start with prayer. Definitely start with prayer. Choose a right time to do it. Not just the right time for you, maybe, but are you sure it's the right time for them? It's got to be done in the right place. Not in a public arena, but somewhere where they're comfortable. And then, if there has been a conflict, even if it was 99.9% their fault, There's probably a 0.1% at some point which you responded maybe wrongly, failed to listen, and uh, confess your part of it. That's a good place to start with mending relationship, even if it was, you know, so much of it was their fault. And in James 1.9 it says, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And slow to get angry. And I think if we hold on. Maybe to that one verse. As a coverall. For all these things. We can avoid so much conflict.
Um, I think that's it because I've got a migraine coming and I've got lights going on in my right eye. So forgive me. Um, yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> well, we're just going to pray. Obviously, the, the, the enemy doesn't want this message out, and he certainly doesn't want this, uh, this message going in to our innermost beings. And uh, Paul's experienced uh, a, a problem physically as he's been ministering, and I think that's the enemy trying to close down the message. But it hasn't been sick-siggity because he's carried on. And we ask now that you just cover this situation uh, with him, Lord, uh, and uh, to you restore that, this, this, this migraine. Mm. Bless this man. Uh, and I think part of the migraine is due to the pressure of getting up and ministering. Uh, and that can have an awful uh, heavy bearing on us. So be with this dear friend of ours. Uh, and may Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, take the words that you've given him mm. and apply them to us. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you.